St. Patrick's Day if you're a college basketball fan, wasn't it? I mean, unbelievable stuff there. FDU, the night before Princeton gets the improbable victory over Arizona. And don't do what I did if you're filling out these bracket pools game by game. I had Arizona winning the whole thing. So that dream came to a crashing halt uh, instantaneously. And then you get the upset Furman over Virginia. You follow the landscape and even take a look at the SoCon conference. How much of an upset was that really? I mean, boneheaded decision-making by Virginia late in that game. But Furman's a good team. More on uh, that squad in a minute. It's the March 18th edition of Sports Today with Peter J. A little after 11 o'clock live on the East Coast. Thanks again for being with me. Um, Plenty to go through with March Badness. We're going to get into the World Baseball Classic pretty much down to the Final Four there with the U.S. and Venezuela trying to play their way into the semifinal round uh, with the championship in the WBC being Tuesday. Plenty of things through uh, with spring training and a little NBA, NHL, and some uh, NFL free agency news as well, obviously centering um, around Aaron Rodgers and what's going on with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets. But we'll start with the tournament because it's numero uno right now in the world of sports. And what has been so great about this tournament, like it is every year, it's the unknown, right? Do or die, survive in advance. So I've had conversations with friends before, and and it's hard sometimes to wrap your head around why so many of these upsets happen. How's a 16 beating a 1 or a 15 over a 2, a 13 over a 4? It's becoming more common. Now, for those listening live, last night's St. Patrick's Day victory for FDU over Purdue is only the second time in tournament history that a 16's knocked off a one. That happened a couple of years ago to Virginia, who then rebounded by winning a national championship. So it's rare, obviously rare, only happening twice. But part of the reason that you get so many of these upsets and why this is such a draw, this NCAA tournament on the men's side, it's because of the theatrics. And the reason you get a lot of these upsets is because that's it. You've got 40 minutes left in your season. So you're going to get, you would think, 
everybody's best punch, everybody's best right hook. And if you get caught sleepwalking or napping or just making poor decision after poor decision, a la Virginia on the baseline in late in that game, led to a firm in game-winning three. Purdue played with, it was as flat as Purdue has been all season. And I've been talking a lot about the Boilermakers on this show going into it. One of the, my five favorite teams I saw all season. But they didn't even show up yesterday. And FDU played a crisp basketball game. They did what they needed to do to take care of business. And they were up against a Purdue team that amazingly could not and did not match their physicality. If you would have told me that ahead of that game, I would have called you nuts. Close? Couldn't convince me that it would have been close. Maybe you're a little tight. It's understandable. Oh, by the way, these are still kids. But for Purdue to come out with a veteran coach and a veteran team, perhaps the player of the year in Zach Eady, and to play that brand of basketball was lousy. Real lousy. And you hear they were all emotional in the locker room. Of course they were. But you, when you don't come out ready to go, ready to hit the other report, it doesn't matter what sport you're playing. On a level like this, the top of your sport, right? Super Bowl in football, the playoffs in football, the playoffs in basketball, right? Uh, the fall classic in MLB, NCAA tournament here. You come out flat, you're going to get beat, and that's what happened to Purdue. That is also what happened to Arizona. Arizona looks like, looked like at one point it was going to coast. Up 10, second half, Princeton hangs around. And what does that Princeton team do very, very well? They're good decision makers. They rely on the guards like a Baylor team. We'll talk a little bit more about Baylor uh, coming up in this segment. A team I like a lot. But Purdue, uh, excuse me, Princeton's intelligence for the game of basketball, being able to rely on their guard play, serve them well. Never say die, come back, and they pick off an Arizona team that was one of the premier scoring teams in America entering the tournament. They were basically a top 10 scoring unit all season long. And then they got picked off late, which was problematic for an Arizona team that, along with UCLA, was phenomenal during the Pac-12 season. Now they're gone. And you'll get a big, I mean, if you looked at the opening games of the weekend, it was incredible. The Maryland-West Virginia game, the 8-9 game, was awesome. I was intrigued by that Missouri-Utah State game because I was pretty high on Utah State. And this is the beauty about the NCAA tournament. You could be a really good team, a Utah State, a Charleston, an Oral Roberts, and it's over in 40 minutes. 
because you got beat by someone superior or who just happened to play a better brand of basketball than you at that time. And that's what we see over and over with the tournament. So when you take a look at a lot of these games from the opening weekend, Thursday, Friday, into today, it's not out of the question that some of the big trees fall hard today. Oral Roberts. And that was a phenomenal campaign Oral Roberts had this year. I really like the way Arkansas is playing right now. They play a good Fast, physical brand of basketball. Alabama had a toughie with AM Corpus Christi. Wound up winning by 20 or 21, whatever it was. But they look good doing it. Texas has been playing good basketball. And Texas is a great story. Because of everything those kids had to go through with their head coach getting fired during the second half of the season. I'm talking about Chris Beard. With assault allegations that were eventually dropped, but it was... Damage was done as far as UT was concerned. He's gone. He's got the Ole Miss job going into next season. But what Texas has done to be able to maintain a high level of basketball at this point in the season, Rodney Terry's done a great job with this group. Really has. And that's a team you've got to be careful with. Northwestern's another team. They beat a really good Boise State team by eight. And then Houston. Houston's a biggie here in the opening slate because of some of the injuries they're dealing with, mainly with Marcus Sasser. Re-aggravating a groin injury. That's definitely one of the top storylines to follow in the infancy uh, of this season's NCAA tournament. And is anybody hotter in the country right now than Penn State? Absolutely walloped. A insanely well-coached and physical Texas A&M team. Made them look silly. I mean, that game was over basically after the opening tip. But there's a team that I will continue to just salivate over. And you know how high I've been on Alabama? That hasn't changed. Tennessee looked good the other day. But it's I'm very fearful to fall in love with a Rick, Rick Barnes tournament team after some of the heartache his Texas teams have gone through and then even here at Tennessee it's hard to trust that come postseason time but there's a team here that I really like and that's UCLA man did they look good against UNC Asheville just from start to finish and this is a team that yeah during the season with Arizona with the cream of the crop in the Pac-12, two of the best teams in America. And what happens? Arizona gets caught sleeping late in the game. They get picked off by Princeton. But UCLA just continues to churn. Final four, good. Not that it matters because I had Purdue and Arizona in one of my own final fours anyway. But I had UCLA falling to Arizona uh, in a conference uh, title game, which obviously we know now is not going to happen. And then the, the, the other game that was so widely talked about Thursday was the Furman-Virginia game. 
Virginia, just boneheaded things that you would never expect a Tony Bennett team to do, to lose a game in that fashion. A lazy, dangerous inbound pass, turnover from midcourt, sets up a game-winning three-point opportunity for Furman, and they cash in. Moving into the, the Friday game, you almost had another giant go down in Xavier, messing around with Kennesaw State, who looked good. So Xavier moves on. Michigan State moving on as well, as is Marquette. And P- the Pittsburgh, if you watch the Pittsburgh-Iowa State game on St. Patrick's Day, that was one, I think, the worst college basketball games I've ever seen in my life. Iowa State, I thought they were overseeded as a six, specifically for how they played down the stretch of the season. And I don't think Pittsburgh is a particularly good basketball team. Quite honestly, when the committee released its field of 68, I thought Pittsburgh getting in over Rutgers was a travesty. But here they are heading to the second round after a 59-41 just clunker of a game. Iona hung tough with UConn for about 25 minutes. UConn just too talented for a team like Iona, specifically in the second half. And as it relate, pertains to Iona, you're, you're probably looking at that being the final game Rick Patino coaches in upstate New York. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to get a bigger job. If it's not St. John's, maybe Texas Tech. Georgetown's a possibility. These offers are going to start coming out now. And he's the biggest guy on the proverbial market, you would think. Rest of that Friday slate, this Creighton team I like. I don't know that anybody can match the balance in a starting five that this Creighton team has. You know, maybe it's an upstart like Florida Atlantic who won a hell of an exciting game over Memphis. Or a TCU who won a thriller over Arizona State by two. Does Indiana have its act together after an impressive victory over a very good Kent State team? And then Kansas State and Miami are in there as well. You probably can't dismiss Kentucky, who beat a good Providence team. But when you take a look at that Friday slate of games and what it's going to going to lead to, for those listening live, the Saturday slate on the 18th starting in about an hour, and then the Sunday games, some really good matchups. But there's a game, I'll give you two games that I'm really looking forward to. One Saturday, one Sunday in round two. The first is the Furman-San Diego State game. That's the 13 v. 5. San Diego State took down a Pat Kelsey-Charleston team that you want to talk about a team like Iowa State being overseeded. Charleston got a raw deal as a 12. And they got screwed even more when they go against the 5 that San Diego State. I watched a lot of the San Diego State team, and they're going to have its work cut out for them today against Furman. That's 12-10 start uh, on the East Coast. But I've said a couple weeks now that the San Diego State team is elite eight good. They really are. Darian Trammell, Matt Bradley. Bradley was phenomenal. In the victory over Charleston, 17-7-4, and and he played a clean game. For Furman, everything's going to run through this kid, Jalen Slauson. 
who was a SoCon uh, no-brainer first-teamer. 19-10 and 10 to go along with four assists in the upset victory over Virginia on Thursday. Again, I, I say the upset with shades of gray. It's because of the seeding and what the line was during the game. But that's not that's not a mind-blowing, earth-shattering upset. The way Virginia lost the game was shocking by basically just th- literally throwing the game away is what Virginia did. They threw the game away. But to say that it, 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 it's, it was an upset like FDU over Purdue or freaking Arizona going down to Princeton, that's not the case. This Furman team is real good. And as much as I like the San Diego State team, I still do. I'm not going to be scratching my head and shaking my head if Furman moves into the Sweet 16 if they beat San Diego State today. If you're home and you're a college basketball fan, watch that. It, it starts the day, which is even better, with the 12-10 tip. Make sure you're in front of a TV to watch that game because it's going to be a good one. Sunday, you take a look at the games on the 19th. I really can't wait for the Baylor-Creighton game. It breaks down pretty simply. It's the guard play for Baylor, and they've got a three-headed monster that might be the best in the country at the position. Keontae George, LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler. This is a group that per game accounts for 45, 46 points per contest for a Baylor team who's only a couple of years removed from winning a national championship. On the other side of that, there might not be a team in America that has the depth, specifically in its starting rotation of Creighton. Trey Alexander and Ryle Kalkbrenner lead the way. But this is a group for Doug McDermott, their head coach, who average in double figures for their five starters. They had some lulls mid-season but put together a nice run in the Big East from start to finish. And here they are as a sixth seed. A dangerous sixth seed. Now, Baylor's capable of going on a run. And this is about as difficult a second-round matchup as you could get to go up against the Creighton team, who's also capable of going on a run. The winner of this game is going to do some damage. And it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch that game. Because as you move forward, next Thursday, March 23rd, that's when the Sweet 16 games will be played. Friday the 24th as well. The Elite Eight, Saturday and Sunday of next week. Final Four, April 1st. National Championship, April 3rd. But we've got a lot to take care of before we get to that. Just to run through the schedule for the weekend, I know I gave you the pr- premier games that I'm going to be looking forward to watching one on each day. Obviously, today I mentioned the SDSU Furman game. That's a biggie. 12 10 on CBS. Tennessee Duke later on in the day. Number one, Kansas goes up against number eight, Arkansas. That'll be an interesting game to watch as well. Missouri and Princeton. Battle of the Tigers. Can Princeton do it again? Houston gets a very physical Auburn team. So you got to hope Sasser's as as close to right as they could get them because you're not going to be messing around with an Auburn team 
and Bruce Pearl. These kids can play. Texas has got a toughie with number 10 Penn State, UCLA and Northwestern, and then Bama and Maryland. Man, these are good games. Just look, I was reading about this all morning and just looking over it again. These, This is a hell of a slate. Sunday, the 19th, Xavier Pitt, Kansas State, Kentucky. This Kansas State team is good. They can score and defend as well as anybody in the country. And they're going up against the Kentucky team that if you if you look at Kentucky's season and you look at them from the start to the finish right through the conference tournament, they really started to come into their own right after the midway point of the campaign. It just they just look like a different group. And to match up with a Kansas State team that I think had a better campaign than most thought it would coming into the year is really an appetizing matchup. Then you get Marquette and Michigan State. This this game's got like an old school feel to it. But Tom Izzo, I mean, how many big games has he coached in in his career? And then Shaka Smart for Marquette, who's been around the block as well. Yeah, nobody had the opening round contest lighting it up the way Marquette did. I mean, they were surgical. There's a lot of good UConn and St. Mary should be a good one. Sunday, that's the 6-10 game on TNT. I mentioned the Baylor-Creighton game. That's the one at 7-10 on TBS that I'm going to be locked into. Florida Atlantic took down a really good Memphis team. Now they get Fairleigh Dickinson, who was just the second 16 to knock off a one when they took down Purdue on St. Patrick's Day. Indiana-Miami will be a good one, too. Quite honestly, I thought Drake was going to put up more of a fight late in that game, but Miami moves on. Indiana. Lately, playing a little bit better. Right? They had some foul-ups late in the season as well. And then Gonzaga, TCU, that should be a goodie as well. I mean, it's game after game after game after game. You get that each year. But if you really look at what's remaining now as we go into round two, which for those listening live is going to start today, and uh, the, the weekend slate in less than an hour, um, there's some really good basketball teams here. Creighton has a six seed. Duke as a five, Auburn as a nine. I mean, this is this is what you want this time of the year, and I really think uh, we're in for a treat. But again, like I said, Saturday, firm in San Diego State. I like San Diego State there only because I've been so high on them for months. But I'm not shocked either way. Do I think San Diego State's going to win the game? Yes, but I think it's going to be close. And then Baylor Creighton Sunday. Come down to that. You know what? I think Creighton can win this game. It's a difficult ask to bottle up the three guard system that Baylor's going to use with Flagler, George, and Cryer. But Kalk Brenner's playing out of his mind. And this kid, Alexander, for Creighton, if you haven't seen him, get in front of the TV. Plus, anytime, anything can happen this time of the year, right? Survive in advance. You hear it over and over. That's why you get the best punch this time of the year from some of these higher seeds and upsets happen. So we'll have you covered as we move through the tournament the next couple of weeks. It's one of the best times of year. I had to tear up some of my box pools or my bracket pools 
Purdue in the Final Four, Arizona winning the damn thing. But if you got those Final Fours where you pick the line of who you think's going to the Final Four, who you think's going to win it, and the total points, it's one of the more popular uh, betting activities this time of the year, you don't have to fret yet. Unless you only did one or two lines and you had Purdue Arizona, then you're screwed. So we'll see what happens there. It's definitely worth noting how loaded some of these teams are. And it's going to make for one hell of a weekend. Driven deep to right field. There it goes. See ya. Almost to Mars. Where it goes. That one's driven to right field and deep. There it goes. See ya. His fourth home run of the spring. And it ties the game at three. Hopefully Edwin Diaz isn't really hurt. Right knee? Right knee. And everybody knew right away, Diaz must have said, well, we can only hope. Only hope. Yeah, it goes without saying that that's not good news to Edwin Diaz. So if we rewind a little bit, injured in the World Baseball Classic, more on the tournament uh, in a little bit coming up later in the segment, but it's a right patellar tendon tear that he suffered in celebration, and he's expected to miss the 23 campaign. So that's a problem. This coming on the heels of learning that Jose Quintana, who was expected to be in the Mets rotation, is going to be shut down for three months. So there's problems across the board here. But with the Diaz thing, look, I I get the passion and the pageantry of being able to represent your country, right? I'm into the World Baseball Classic as an American. I love it. But I understand that it is something that they, many of these ball players in other countries, be it a Japan, a Venezuela, a Cuba, Dominican Republic, wherever it might be, probably means a little more to them from the aspect of playing for your home country. I get it. Winning big games and wanting to celebrate. This is not the first time this has ever happened. But you can't, you can't have this conversation without alluding to the fact that this is another time where it looks like the New York Mets were burned from just a dumb, preventable thing. Now, I'm not calling Edwin Diaz dumb the situation. And I want to focus that comment on comments made by Max Scherzer last week. That the World Baseball Classic, yes, it's a great thing. That this tournament should probably be, probably be played mid-season. Max Scherzer is a thousand percent correct. He couldn't be any more correct. Because guys, why? Why is that a relevant statement for Max to make? Well, the guy knows what he's doing. He's been around the game. Cy Young after Cy Young award. Traveled around. Played at a high level, obviously. And oh, by the way, you play the game mid-season somewhere or after the regular season in America has started with the MLB, guys are loose. Guys are warmed up. 
you've got to go from the winter into the WBC, which basically is when spring training starts. You've got to get back in go mode. Not too many people are overly huge fans of NFL preseason football, but there's a purpose for it. So you don't just walk into the season. That's why you have your camp. Then you have your practice games. Then the season starts. It's the same deal in Major League Baseball, but now they've added the World Baseball Classic years ago, which is a fun tournament. I enjoy it. It's meaningful. It's impactful. It's good baseball. But to have it this time of the year, coinciding with spring training when these guys should be, oh, by the way, with the teams that pay them, that pay their salary, that's the other thing that can't be ignored. You've, you've got to be extra careful. And I understand that's a freak thing for Edwin Diaz. Heated a moment, passion. I get it. I love it. But your WBC team is not paying you salary. Your WBC team doesn't have you under contract. Mets are down to closer. Now, David Robertson is probably the likeliest candidate to fill that role. Um, Adam Adovino, Smith will serve as this setup, man. I would guess, unless they go a free agency route. I've heard Zach Britton's name, though he only pitched three games last year or something like that. Kenny Giles is available. Might there be somebody else? But the bottom line right now is the Mets do not have the closer they envisioned having this year coming off a career year, an MVP recognized year because he was getting MVP votes and Cy Young votes. And it's not because of an injury that took place during the Major League Baseball season. Steve Cohen can say whatever he wants, and he's been polite on social media and to the media as a whole. This guy has got to be pissed. It, this just can't happen. And I don't want anybody to take it that, that I'm, I'm hammering this guy for being patriotic and wanting to represent his homeland. Not at all. I get it. I love it. But you've got to be a little bit intelligent sometimes. Hey, guys, we win this game. Championship outside, maybe. You could do a little something. Uh, like they do in, in the locker rooms. We've got to be extra careful during this tournament because we can't get because we have responsibilities to our employers. You don't have to like what I just said, but it's a fact. The WBC BC teams are not paying the salaries of these guys. And now they have to go through all these different intricacies with what the, what's going to happen contractually? Ought to, do the Mets have to eat that? Is Diaz going to eat it? It's, it's not done yet what's going to happen. Now, the Mets should be fine with this. They're not going to be burdened because of a non-MLB or Met injury. But the situation from, from the Met perspective, this guy might be the best closer in baseball. Now you don't have him. Matter of fact, let me retract that. He is the best closer in baseball. Now he's gone. Or at least he's highly expected to miss the 23 season. What's good for the Mets is most teams don't have a Robertson, Adovino, and Smith sitting there. But that's not the point. 
it's just another example where Met friends, unfortunately, can sulk and say, this is why we can't have nice things. Everything's going extremely well with this organization. Lineup, got some pop in the lineup. Good starting pitching. And what happens? Quintana shut down for three months. Now you're looking at probably Tyler Meagle and David Peterson uh, as potential fill-ins. On the heels of that, Diaz goes down celebrating. From a Met fan perspective, I get it. I'd be pissed too. What has been fun during the spring for this Mets team is watching some of the battles and some of them that I alluded to um, last week. Brett Beatty, you have to figure you're going to see him sooner rather than later. There's opportunity there at third base because of what happened or lack of what happened with Carlos Correa coming on board. But what the focus has been, when it could still be something positive, because this Mets team is really good. And to go from Diaz to probably Robertson, is it ideal? No, but at least he's a veteran. He's done the job at a high level with multiple organizations and done it well. The bottom line is, this is why a lot of these managers and these GMs and owners don't want their guys playing in the WBC. Luis Severino is a perfect example. The Yankees said no. I was listening to Steve Phillips the other day on MLB Network Radio um, talking about how sometimes in events like this, GMs will get phone calls from WBC teams. Hey, you know, we're, we're pretty jammed up at this position. We're going to take this guy. I know he's a right fielder, but we're going to put him in left. Or we're going to take the shortstop and put him in second. And Phillips would be like, you are absolutely not going to do that. Because if he's never played the position, he's sure as hell not going to do it in basically an exhibition tournament for the first time. It's not going to happen. So there's a lot of GMs and owners and managers even that are not high on the World Baseball Classic because of the things Phillips said about guys wanting to change positions and getting denied because it's, it's, it's lunacy. And then you get injuries, which happened to Edwin Diaz, that have the ripple effect that we're not even at opening freaking day yet. And you're down a closer from a non-team related injury. Makes you sick. Speaking of injuries, you've got everything the Yankees have dealt with. Canely, Rodon, Trevino, Harrison Bader is banged up. But you heard in the open to the segment, some of the highlights. Jason Dominguez, if you haven't seen this kid swing a bat, my God, is, <laughs> is that talent there? Now set down to the minors, 455 batting average this spring with four homers. It's not a surprise. What is so interesting about this 20-year-old, Dominguez, is ask most people associated with Major League Baseball or the Yankees if they'd expect to see Jason Dominguez at any point on the Major League level this season before the spring, they would have said emphatically no. Not because he's not talented, but because he really hadn't played above uh, high A ball. 
after spring, showcasing his power. I don't think it's out of the question that you could see him in September. I truly believe that. And it's unbelievable when you think about it from the speed of his advancement. Unbelievable. That this kid who you read about, you listen to on the radio, and and you see all the little, little shows that they do on the Yes Network or MLB Network, whatever it might be, he's a year or two away. Not anymore, he's not. September call up, unimaginable before the spring started. Not so much anymore. And I mentioned this guy as it related relates to the WBC a couple of minutes ago and being denied uh, the opportunity to pitch. Luis Severino has looked scary awful this spring. 13 ERA across five starts. Pitched a third of an inning Wednesday against the Phillies and got shellacked. Four earned runs, two hits, two walks, one strikeout. It has not been a good spring at all for Severino. Who said in recent interviews that the comfort level, for whatever reason, just hasn't been there. which is problematic for a Yankee team that is already down outside of Aaron Judge, their biggest free agent acquisition in Carlos Rodon. I mean, Severino, back in February, first adding of the spring, two innings pitched, four earned runs. He gave up a long ball against the Tigers. Two and two-thirds, three earned runs, and another start against Tampa Bay. Tigers again, March 10th. Four innings pitched, four hits, two runs, two earned, two home runs. That's five home runs to this point in the spring. And then the start that I mentioned against the Phillies. So it has not been good. Couple that with the Frankie Montas injury that we've known about. And there's some problems there for the Yankees from an injury perspective. Herman will have first crack. Clark Schmidt up and down. Schmidt's an interesting one for the Yankees because of what type of leverage he'll have. What type of role do the Yankees want him to play? I don't, I, I don't think it would be fair to totally dismiss Davey Garcia either because the kids had a really nice spring. But when you look at Schmidt as a potential rotational option now with Montas and Rodon down, He was stellar in AAA and out of the Major League bullpen last year. And that gives the Yankees a solid option in multiple scenarios. It's been an up and down spring, but I I would be fairly confident to think the Yankees know they have an asset in Clark Schmidt. But when when you talk about this Yankee team, and this can't be stressed enough, It comes down to their offense. And they had some black holes last year. Ineffective Hicks before injury. Ineffective Josh Donaldson. Isaiah Conifaleffa, nice player. You're not relying on him at the dish. Gleyber Torres, I like. Aaron Judge, obviously. 
Giancarlo Stanton, Anthony Rizzo. I think the Yankees are going to get to a point early where they're going to have to say, after all we've seen, after watching him again this spring, Anthony Volpe can help our offense. He needs to be here. If you want my outright opinion, he should be on the opening day roster. And I don't know why we have to have the conversation anointing Aaron Hicks, the starting left fielder, when Estevan Florial and Oswaldo Cabrera are on the club as well. Cabrera did everything asked of him last year, and he did it well. So for me, I even with these injuries, there's enough depth there where the Yankee pitching should hold up. But they've got to be able to manufacture runs. They've got to be able to move guys over. Home runs are fine, but you can't rely on them. The home runs are going to be there. That's not going to be a problem. But if you can't move guys over, if you can't steal bases, God forbid you lay one down every now and then. Pitching can only do so much. We saw that last year uh, in the series against the Astros, the American League Championship Series. So we'll see. Because it's definitely something that is, it, it, it's not just going to disappear. There were offensive woes. Felt like an infinitesimal amount last year with the Yankees that we, you just can't deal with again this year. Otherwise, heads are going to start rolling, and it's probably going to start with Aaron Boone. Case in point, just get Anthony Volpe up to the bigs and leave him. Mentioned the the World Baseball Classic. Uh, it's it's been it's been an entertaining tournament uh, from a baseball perspective, and you've got a biggie tonight. For those listening live, the United States is playing Venezuela in the quarterfinals. The winner, the winner moves into the semis and a date with Cuba. That game will be 7 p.m. on Fox. The U.S. game with Venezuela tonight. Uh, Cuba awaits them. And then Japan and Mexico are meeting in the second semifinal. Semifinal number one will be Sunday, March 19th. It'll be Cuba and the U.S.-Venezuela winner. And then Monday, March 20th, Japan-Mexico in the second semifinal. And then Tuesday, March 21st, championship game. All of those games I just mentioned will be 7 p.m. Uh, on FS1. Mexico's looked good. Cuba's played good ball. The United States had the one blip early. Um, but, I mean, this is one of the greatest lineups ever put together for a baseball game. So it's not at all surprising uh, that they're in the position they're in to get to the, to, to the uh, Final Four. Coming out of a group that featured Mexico, Great Britain, Colombia, and Canada. I mean, this is, this is a loaded U.S. team. It was the pitching that was the concern for the U.S. coming into the tournament. But for the most part, it's held up. So it'll be interesting to see the quarterfinal game tonight um, against Venezuela. Again, I say tonight for those listening live, uh, Saturday, March 18th. That's at 7 p.m. on the East. And then we'll get into our semifinal round and the championship game on Tuesday, which is 
then it'll be time to just strictly focus on what took place over the spring and gearing up for the start of the MLB season, which is right around the corner. So there's a lot going on between the NCAA tournament, spring training, and the World Baseball Classic. I mean, it's a, it's again, I said it last week too, it's a great time to be a sports fan because of all of the things taking place at once. Make sure to leave a review. This makes our day and fuels future episodes. Sports Today with Peter J. Yeah, those reviews can be left. Samsung, Podbean, uh, Spotify, uh, anything you want to write, chime in. Uh, help expand the network of the show, which has really taken off. Uh, get a good group live. But being able to get this podcast, this show on Spotify, is really where the, the listenership has skyrocketed. So I thank all of you. Uh, with that, we'll move into a little NBA. Knicks coming off two straight wins, Lakers in Portland. Overall, the season for the Knicks has been extremely successful. Have there been blips? Has there been frustration? Yes. But this is a good basketball team. 41-30 and 30 as we sit with 11 games left in the season, fifth in the Eastern Conference. Now the important part of this is the status of Jalen Brunson, who's missed five of the last six games due to a foot injury and a re-aggravation um, of a foot injury uh, in a recent loss to Sacramento. Now, it's been noted that it is highly possible Brunson returns to the lineup today against Denver. Yesterday, the New York Post, that he was a full participant uh, in practice. Saw that online. That's big. Because you know how good Brunson's been and what he means to this team. Look, Quickly's had a nice season. Up and down, yeah, I get it. In a recent win, 123-107 over the Blazers, 26 points, 8 of 14 from the floor, 50% from three at four of eight. But he run cold, 5 of 16 against Charlotte recently, 1 of 11, woeful against Sacramento. But he's a great complement right now at this stage in his early career to the veteran Jalen Brunson, who really has been great. And now Brunson's able to come back, assuming he's good to go, you don't want to run the risk of another re-injury because then it could be game over. The Knicks got things they they have to worry about as well, in addition to Brunson getting healthy. But it looks like we're going to see him sooner rather than later, as soon as um, this afternoon's game against Denver. Full participant in practice. You read that, two thumbs up. And with that, we have our first caller of the day. Mike, what's going on? Hi, Pete. How are you? Good. What's up? Uh, just, uh, you mentioned before about Anthony Volpe, and he certainly looks yeah. like a player. My question is, where do you think he plays? Because you can't put the guy on the bench. He has to play every day. Does he play shortstop instead of Peraza, who also looks pretty darn good, or third instead of Donaldson? I think that would be the thing um, at with third base because as much as Aaron Boone 
likes to be overly positive ad, ad nauseum I'd sometimes with Boone, who seems like he's just afraid to say what needs to be said. To just yeah, say true. that Josh, Josh Donaldson's going to have a bounce back year because he's a veteran is is an absurd statement. If Rizzo's, if, yeah. if, if Volpe's playing at a high clip, and by all accounts he is over the spring from what we've seen on TV, read in the papers and heard on the radio, why right. not bring this kid up? You saw that Peraza's certainly able to hold his own after he did that in the postseason last year. This is the future. These kids seem ready. Sending down Dominguez made sense. You weren't going to see him anyway. The fact that we can even talk about seeing him in September is just a, a pat on the back to this kid. But yeah, Mike, Volpe's got to be here. Uh, and and if it was me, he's playing third base. Yeah, he's. I think he could handle the position. I mean, they, they'll move these guys around to, and, and I, I go back to the point that I alluded to before about trying guys out for the first time at, in something like the World Baseball Classic. That's insane. But if you're doing those things with your own club, your your employer, the team that you play for, that's a completely different story. These guys sure. have the ability. Peraza can play short. He can play second. Torres, it's not ideal for him at shortstop, but you know he could at least do it if you got in a jam. Uh, Isaiah Kainer-Falefa right. won a gold glove at third base. So you've got flexibility there as well. Donaldson just irks me because I just his whole demeanor last year was problematic. And I have I hope I'm wrong if it's going to be him over Volpe or somebody else. But I have no confidence that he's going to be able to bounce back offensively. No, I don't either. I don't either. All right. So, and, and, and we'll, look, Mike, thanks for the call. We'll, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. Um, as as this continues to go, because it's something worth talking about. Yeah, you move these young guys around. Is it ideal? No, but they give you flexibility to be able to play different positions. Is that out of the question? No, it's not. Uh, but it is overly frustrating uh, when you're a Yankee fan and you see an Aaron Hicks or a Josh Donaldson or you go back two years, Glaber Torres, just 0 for 3, 0 for 4, three strikeouts, four strikeouts. And even, you know, Aaron Judge isn't removed from this either, especially going back to the series in Houston last year. None of them hit. So it's accountability across the board. Um, and I, I think that's what you faced up with the Yankees this year. Uh, the, the, it shouldn't be a tough decision with Volpe, but it looks like the Yankees are going to make it one. Um, but just back to what we were discussing with the Knicks. Uh, and I, I take this as a good thing because I think some of the recent comments Mitchell Robinson made via social media were taken out of context. I just think the guy wants to be more involved in the offense. I mean, he's been pretty vocal about it, the frustration there, because it really hasn't uh, developed. You see how he is on both ends of the floor. He's got a motor there. The thing with Mitch Robinson that frustrates you is his health, his availability. He's, a, he's an unbelievable rebounder. Unbelievable shot blocker and defender. Offensively, I can appreciate his frustration, but that, that's got to be a two-way street as well. To be able to show what you can do offensively before they just start running sets through you. That's just not going to happen. I get where he's coming from. 100% I get where he's coming from. But I think there's got to be a little more willingness sometimes on the part of the player. Now, maybe there is. We're not in practice every single day. Matter of fact, working on 
uh, having Ed Cohen, the, the radio play-by-play voice of the Knicks, uh, on the broadcast with us next weekend. We can ask him uh, uh, questions like that because it has been um, highly talked about in the media. Ed's not with us today because the Knicks have an afternoon game. So we're working toward that uh, for next weekend just to give you a kind of a, a little preview of what might be able to come uh, on next weekend's edition of Sports Today with Peter J. And that'd be great. But when you look at the makeup um, of this Knicks team, you know, I, I think it's okay to sit there and, and buy in now, especially if you're able to get Brunson back and healthy. You come off the back-to-back victories against the Lakers, against the Blazers, both on the road after dropping three in a row. So you go two and two on a little West Coast swing. Now you're home for two. Denver, today at one. Minnesota, Monday the 20th. That's a night game. Miami and Orlando after that. Houston, Miami again. Cleveland, Washington, Indiana, New Orleans. And the season ends April 9th. Uh, with a home contest against the Pacers again. So we're down to it now with the Knicks. Only a couple games left in the season. They've got to bring Brunson back. If he's able to play today, great. But you've got, and sure as hell know the Knicks are going to do this. You have to be extra careful with him, considering that, yes, This team is going to the playoffs. And if they want to be successful, and as constituted with a healthy Brunson, win a playoff series, which I firmly believe they can do, they are going to need Jalen Brunson quarterbacking this thing. And a re-injury reminiscent of the one that happened in Sacramento could be catastrophic. I want to see him play as much as anybody, but I want him to be well. And ready to roll. Because come postseason time, that's when the physicality in any sport picks up. You know, this is a team, folks, that's got one postseason series win in the past 23 years. Let me say that again. One playoff series win over 23 years. That's sad. That is just gut-wrenching that can change this year. But they're going to have to be careful with guys like Brunson and Robinson. Robinson injury-prone. Brunson battling an injury. You look around the rest of this league. Man, if you like basketball, you like watching the Milwaukee Bucks. The Boston Celtics, across the board. Giannis is is just unbelievable. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are unbelievable. I really like Derek White as well on Boston. The way they continue to roll both teams. Denver, still. I mean, we've been saying this for weeks now. They right now look like the class of the West. Ahead of Memphis and Sacramento. And you get those teams that can't be dismissed. Philadelphia, Cleveland. Cleveland potential matchup there with the Knicks postseason time would be interesting. Dallas. Look, Brooklyn hangs around. Phoenix as well. I think this postseason tournament in the NBA, however it breaks down, with the teams that are in the mix now, 
among that group of teams that I just mentioned is really going to be awesome. Chock full of star power. I mean, how this lasts for some teams 10 to 12 games remaining in the regular season play out is going to shape the landscape of what the tournament looks like. But if you get matchups, you get a Bucks Celtics down the road somewhere. Knicks Sixers, Cleveland Sixers, Miami, whoever. There's so many good teams. Denver might have the league MVP again. It's matchups galore. And when you're even able to add in a, a team like Dallas with Luka and now Kyrie or a Sacramento. And don't sleep on Brooklyn. It's going to be fun. It's going to be real enjoyable. Look, the, the way this could break down matchup-wise, you know, in, in the East, if, if this Knicks team is healthy, and I'm not just saying this as a biased Knicks fan, because I like to think I'm pretty level-headed and open-minded. This is a good basketball team. Especially when they when they picked it up defensively, which is what they're supposed to be as constituted with Tom Thibodeau as the head coach. That's his calling card. So if they're putting it on both ends, then I know R.J. Barrett gets frustrating. He'll have the big game and then he'll disappear. I get it. He's a young kid too. And the Julius Randle stuff, silly mistakes late in games. I, I Believe me, I know he can score. But I'm not confident there, Julius Randle, as my go-to guy late in the basketball game. I'm just not. All that together, Brunson's the key, right? He's got the keys to the car. He's here. He's healthy. With the remaining cast, it's a good basketball team. And I think they might be able to make some noise in the postseason. I really do. And we'll have plenty of time to run through what's going on with the NBA playoffs across the league. Right? Again, national show with a New York flair. What's going on with the NHL as that league prepares for its postseason? Rangers rocking third in the Metropolitan Division right now. Took some hits defensively, getting healthy. We're going to have the next couple of weeks are going to be beautiful from a sports broadcasting, sports radio perspective with the NBA and the NHL approaching and college basketball already in the tournament. And oh, by the way, which we'll get into in a little bit, some golf and NFL free agency news. But uh, right now, our buddy Vinny is online. Vin, what's up? Going on, Pete. How are you? Good, brother. How's everything? Very good. Very good. Uh, I... I like to echo your sentiments with the Knicks. I've been watching them for years. I'm waiting since 99, since Larry Johnson was on the team for another play, for a big playoff run. Isn't that amazing uh, that it just hasn't happened? It's almost it an impossibility me, when you think about where they play. Drives me, yeah. I mean, New York. Nobody wants to come play here. And, it, and this year, they, I mean, now I'm, I, I watch all the games. With Jalen Brunson, I think they got to sit him for another week. 
They're in the playoffs. The number five spot is pretty much solidified. Looks like they're going to play Cleveland no matter if they get four or five. I think they got to give him another week because this kid, Deuce McBride, he comes in the game and he is just the biggest pest defensively I've ever seen in my life. He makes things so uncomfortable for the other team's point guard. Him, when him and Josh Hart are in the game, they create chaos. Yeah, They really do. It's like every play, they're deflecting a ball. They're just, they're always doing something great. They really are. And now that he scored the last game, he put 18 points on the board. He started to hit his three-pointer. This kid works hard. I watch him in the G League, and, I mean, he, he dominates the G League. He is becoming an excellent player, and I think they should just give Brunson another week because you don't need him hurt for the playoffs because, you know, like you were saying before with Julius Randle, they ain't here without Julius Randle. But late in the games, he can't be the guy. It's got to be Julius Randle with Jalen Brunson. Correct. It's got to be Jalen Brunson orchestrating and Julius playing off the ball. That's when that's when that's why Julius has been so successful this year because he doesn't have to have the ball all the time like he yep. did last year. You know, the Knicks and, finally got their premier point guard that they were looking for. And Vin, just as an update, today's game one o'clock tip at the Garden is going to be a good test for the Knicks against the Nuggets. Brunson, absolutely. I mentioned that he was a full participant in practice yesterday. He went from questionable to doubtful. So he 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 doesn't need to I play. I don't for think you're going to see him today. I mean, because they've been winning. They, I mean, they won the last. They beat a good Lakers team. Lakers are one of the hottest teams in basketball. They beat the Lakers. Portland came out and got our big lead on them. Damian Lillard is just tremendous. And they came back and they went berserk in the third quarter. Yeah. Quickly and quickly, Toppin and McBride went nuts in the third quarter. The one thing with this team is their bench is as good as anybody's in the NBA. When they come in and if Toppin plays above the rim instead of stands at the three-point line. He drives me crazy at the three-point line. He thinks he's Larry Bird behind the three-point line. <laughs> uh, I'll be topping. He's got to play above the rim, get rebounds, go to the basket. And uh, another positive is RJ is starting to really play good. He's starting to go to the basket, and he's really starting to rev up his game. He gets me frustrated. As I know he gets you frustrated too. But when he goes to the basket, he's tough. He is tough cover. You know, he misses a lot of the easy layups, but he's still a very tough cover. And Josh Hart, this kid is just phenomenal. You know, it was a is, great acquisition he, to bring him in to elevate the Knicks from something they already did well, and that was rebounding. Yeah. And that's what Hart has brought yeah, them. And he's done it on both ends of the floor. And Hardenstein gets every and Hardenstein gets every offensive rebound. Mitchell Robinson has just got to be quiet, do his job. He's got not one off. He's, I got more offensive moves than Mitchell Robinson. He's got no offensive moves. He can't shoot a free throw. Just get rebounds and dunk the ball and keep that and keep locking shots. That's what he does well. That's what's gonna that's what pays his salary. He's got no low post moves. If he wants to get the ball more, work in the offseason on your low post moves. Right now, you don't fit into the offense. Hardenstein's got more offensive moves than he does. But you know, I like to see the other kid play a little more. Give maybe Seven eight minutes, Jericho Sims. Yeah, because he brings a lot of he brings a lot of energy. But I'm excited about this team. I think we could. I think we can make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They own Boston. They beat Boston three games in a row. You know, if if we don't, I think we could beat Philly. Milwaukee's another story, but I think we could beat Philly. Look, 
with what we know is that, and, and, and this is the nice thing that Knicks fans can hang their hats on, you're going to get a shot at it. You're going to get a, yeah. a, a, a shot in the tournament, uh, which is why it's very important uh, and, and why the, the Brunson injury stuff continues to stay forefront is with 11 games left in the season, these games are magnified because of some of the logjam in, in the middle of the Eastern Conference race. You want positioning. Nick's got to play well down this late stretch. Absolutely. They, and they own Cleveland, too. They've been, they, they bottled up uh, Mitchell twice. They, they own Cleveland. I'm looking for a deep run. I'm really looking for an Eastern Conference Finals from this game. And maybe well, next year we could pick up the extra piece that we need. Maybe a Zach Levine or, a, or maybe even a Jimmy Butler next year. Look, it's not out of the okay. question. Uh, and, Vinny, thank you for the call, brother. Um, Thanks, Pete. Yeah, it's not out of the question at all. And, and I'm with Vin. I mean, even, you know what the nice thing is, and I think it's a little different feel than perhaps, and at least what I've seen from some of my own friends and colleagues that are that are Met fans that are really gotten down with the Edwin Diaz stuff, there seems to still be overwhelming positivity with the Nick fan base, despite what has happened with Jalen Brunson. He's going to come back, barring disaster. And I just mentioned before today's game, a little less than an hour, he went from questionable to doubtful. So even with the full Friday practice, it doesn't look like Brunson's going to play. In a big game against Denver, uh, uh, a title contending uh, Denver team, they're that good. Um, So it doesn't look like you'll see him today. But the bottom line is that this Knicks team is talented, very talented. And, you know, to maintain that positive frame of mind, not not the woe is me, that, hey, look, there's still a lot of good on this team when Quickly's right. I mean, the kid's good. And you can't dismiss the fact that he's still a young kid. This team can play. They play together. They have fun when they're playing. And I'm, I, I agree with Vinny. I think there's a run here for this team. And if all's right, I think it's going to be fun. I really, really do. You got the Valspar Championship taking place in Palm Harbor, Florida, uh, wrapping up over the weekend at Innisbrook, the Copperhead course. What a place. What a place. Adam Shank, Kramer Hickok atop the leaderboard. Uh, Cody Gribble. There's a name you haven't heard in, in, in a little bit of time. Uh, Cody Gribble, Tommy Fleetwood, and Jordan Spieth at the top of the leaderboard as well. So there's some good names uh, in this field that just gives you another layer of the sport onion to peel back and enjoy this weekend uh, because this Valspar is shaping out to be uh, an entertaining tournament with round three uh, pretty much underway uh, for a good amount uh, of the guys that are here on Saturday. Uh, And just as we do some general housekeeping stuff uh, with the men's tournament also going on, the women's uh, NCAA tournament is underway as well. Uh, the first round kicked off uh, earlier uh, in the week. You had the opening round contests that were some really appetizing uh, matchups uh, in the opener. Now you'll move into uh, round two on Sunday the 19th. You got Iowa, the two seed, going up against Georgia. South Carolina, I mean, is any gonna is anybody going to beat South Carolina with how good they look? 
Iowa looks real good. Notre Dame's got a good team. They're going to go up against Mississippi State. South Carolina's got South Florida. Virginia Tech's a one seed. South Dakota State, their matchup. I mean, for Stanford, Iowa, South Carolina, you probably hit your wagons there. Indiana's a good-looking team. All right, and they'll kick off uh, their first round today against Tennessee Tech. And then you got UCLA, Sacramento State uh, as well. So this women's tournament... Uh, be as entertaining as the men's side. Uh, it, it really can be with a lot of the teams and a lot of the preeminent players um, that are taking the floor uh, during the tournament. We all know what's going on with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. If I'm the Jets, I'm not doing this dog and pony show for much longer. Everybody in the world thinks it's going to happen. I'm one of them. But enough now. Figure out your crap. And if he doesn't want to be in Green Bay, which it sounds like he doesn't, and, he, and he, he has plans to play for the Jets, well, then approve it and let's go. Because I don't think Joe Douglas is going to be held hostage. That's not happening. So if you can get this done and we can move on ahead of the draft so you know what you have to do on both sides, we're not children. He's a 39-year-old grown man trying to end his career and help elevate a once great franchise. Aaron Rodgers comes to the Jets before he even steps on the field. Once he's officially a Jet, he's the greatest quarterback in franchise history. That's without even playing a game. But if he's going to play head games, goodbye. We'll figure it out. Because the fact that it hasn't happened after it's allegedly been agreed upon is egregious. Conversely to that, I'll tell you who's doing a nice job. Joe Shane of the Giants. Bring back you all guys, right? That's the purpose of free agency. Sign you all guys first, and then you can go out on the market. Which is what Joe Shane and company are doing. Now, was it tough losing Julian Love to Seattle? Yes, Love's going to go out there and he's going to shine in that defensive secondary uh, for Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. Dane Belton will move into that role now, you would think, for the Giants. Paris Campbell, a nice signing on the Bringing back Darius Slayton, I like. You got Jones and Barkley revamping the defense. Jihad Ward comes back as well to go along with the free agent signings uh, that they've done um, thus far as well. I mean, this has been as good of a transitional phase for the Giants that they've had in quite some time. Raheem Nunez Roche to give you depth on the defensive line was a great signing. Jared Davis comes back. Bobby Okereke, a four-year, $40 million contract from the Colts. There's your mobile linebacker who can go side to side, which they haven't had in quite some time. And Darren Waller comes over via trade with a third-round pick, which was basically the pick that they acquired when they sent Kadarius Toney to the Kansas City Chiefs. So you've got a lot going on. And we're going to get in plenty more NBA, plenty more NHL as the weeks go on. Obviously, the focus has been spring training and March Madness, but we'll, we'll keep you abreast at what's going on with the NFL and free agency as well, because it, it simply cannot be ignored um, with about four weeks remaining or so until the NFL draft, uh, which is always an event um, in itself. So as always, want to thank everybody who chimed in. Uh, we continue to roll right here on Podbean Live every Saturday at 11 a.m. on the East Coast. And then shows post to Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, 
iHeartRadio, and Samsung. Listen, couldn't have done it without the listeners. I really greatly appreciate it with the, with the listenership continuing to go up. Uh, it's been fun. Uh, you can subscribe at any time on all of those platforms uh, that I mentioned. And stay locked in with me at PeterJM on Twitter. Up-to-date information, any insight uh, around uh, the world of sports, college and pro, and even the local high schools as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the tournament. Enjoy the golf. Enjoy any of the free agency news that comes out in spring training as well. I'll be back here next Saturday, same time, same place, right here on Sports Today with Peter J. Sports Today with Peter J.